This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. It's Curious City, where we take your questions about Chicago and the region and investigate, report, explore from WBEZ. Hey, I'm Jesse Dukes. The movie Straight Outta Compton about the rap group NWA was a big hit. But this week's questioner read about a mistake in the film. The movie starts in 1986 with the rapper Eazy-E wearing a White Sox hat. But that hat didn't exist back then. You've probably seen the hat, black with the word socks, written in white letters in an old English font diagonally across the front. That hat and logo weren't unveiled until 1990. Chris was surprised. He thought that hat was a lot older. I thought that kind of design and old English font, that I thought it was a, a logo that might have been, you know, from the classic age of baseball, maybe, you know, pre 1950s so to speak. Now, Chris isn't a huge baseball fan, but he is fascinated by the intense rivalry between the White Sox and Cubs, and he's interested in design. So he wants to know where that White Sox logo came from, like who designed it. It turns out a baseball team's uniform is actually really important. Teams make millions of dollars from merchandise sales every year, and a uniform is also part of a team's branding, part of how they get fans into the stadium and secure advertising and broadcasting deals. And uniform changes are usually done, particularly after a pretty woeful season, sagging attendance, bad play. This is White Sox historian Rich Lindbergh. He points out the White Sox have often struggled with branding and getting fans into the stadium. As such, they've redesigned their uniform 13 times, which is a lot for a baseball team. But the current uniform with the diagonal SOX logo has been in place for 27 years, a franchise record. So how did they finally hit upon a winner? According to Lindbergh, the current SOX logo dates back to 1948, one of the White Sox's worst seasons ever. That year, White Sox owner Grace Comiskey appointed her son Chuck Comiskey vice president of operations. He was only 22. Enormous responsibility is put upon him to take a bad ball club, finish last, and to do something with it. Comiskey later told Lindbergh he didn't really know how to run a baseball team. He said to me, if I couldn't make the White Sox win, at least I would try to make them look like winners. Comiskey copied the baseball team best known for winning, the New York Yankees. He copied their business model, their coaching system. And especially the appearance of the Yankees, the dignified, conservative, button-down look. The Yankees had dark pinstripes and an old English NY on their chest. 
So Chuck Comiskey designed a uniform with black pinstripes and an old English SOX on the chest, similar to the current design, but with red highlights. So, one answer to our question, Chuck Comiskey, a young, inexperienced baseball exec, designed that diagonal SOX logo. The design lasted for nearly three decades and survived three different owners, but it did not survive the 70s. That's when Bill Veck took control of the team. Veck was famous for promotions like the so-called Exploding Scoreboard and Disco Demolition Night. Veck didn't like the uniform and decided that he would design his own uniform. But what emerged was a shocking variation on tradition. If Chuck Comiskey's 1951 uniform suggested dignity and conservatism, the uniforms Veck unveiled in 1976 suggested gold chains and protruding chest hair. They featured a floppy black collar, black clam digger pants, and they even had a shorts option. The Veck uniforms, in my mind, had no dignity, and they left Sox fans open for ridicule. The pinstripes and diagonal SOX were gone. So who brought that back? When somebody walked by me with a hat, even up here in Wisconsin, I resist the temptation to go, hey, that's my hat. Rob Gallus is the former senior vice president of marketing and sales for the White Sox. When he was hired in 1989, the White Sox were once again struggling. Not only were they losing games, they had low attendance and low revenue. The team had cycled through three uniform designs since 1976. So Gallus says he started from scratch with a scientific approach. They hired design firms, marketing firms, and did their own fan surveys. My director of marketing, Mike Busick, he took prototypes of uniforms to neighborhood parties and got opinions on what the fans liked. Turns out they liked dark pinstripes on a white background, which the White Sox had in the 1950s and 60s. And they liked that old English-style SOX logo of the same period. So Gallus decided to bring that back. But he didn't just want nostalgia. He wanted a uniform that would appeal to a younger and more diverse fan base. And we talked to more designers who told us that both silver and black were going to be the hot colors of the 90s. Turned out they were very, very correct. Yep, the new uniform, unveiled in 1990 for the 91 season, took the pinstripes and diagonal SOX from the 50s and combined it with a very 90s silver and black, ripped off from the L.A. Raiders and popular with gangster rappers. Like Dr. Dre, who famously wore the Sox hat in his videos. That black hat with the diagonal SOX got hot. In 1989, the White Sox sold $250,000 in in-park merchandise sale. Two years later, after the new hats, we sold $4.5 million in-park merchandise sale. More importantly, with help from a new stadium and talented young team, attendance soared from about a million in 1989 to nearly three million in 1991. So, to hear Rob Gallus tell it, the 1991 White Sox uniform was a product of a careful, research-driven marketing campaign that combined nostalgic elements with 90s aesthetics. But White Sox historian Rich Lindbergh sees it a little differently. It was a no-brainer. It was what everybody wanted. Uh, there was no mystery about it. Lindbergh says he spent a lot of time listening to the fans in the ballparks in the 70s and 80s. And 
I don't really think anybody needed to do a marketing study, though I understand the purpose of it, and Rob certainly did a great job in recognizing that. But if you put your finger on the pulse of White Sox fans, people who take the subway, the L, and who park out and do tailgating, uh, this is what they were saying, and they had been saying it for a number of years. In any case, the 1991 redesign with the diagonal SOX has lasted with slight variations for 27 years now. But this year's poor season and sagging attendance may tempt the White Sox to change their uniform again. So I put the idea to some fans I met. Wait, do, so do any of you think they should change it? or Keep it where it is. I think so too, yeah. yeah keep, keep it, keep it, keep it. Keep it, keep it. Keeper to keeper. There you go. Reporting came from me, Jesse Dukes. Support comes from the Conant Family Foundation. For the record, the White Sox tell me they have no specific plans to change their uniform. Like the Yankees, they never change theirs. I'm expressing with my full capabilities, and now I'm living in correctional facilities. Cause some don't agree with how I do this. I get straight and meditate like a Buddhist. I'm dropping flavor, my behavior is hereditary, but my technique is very necessary. Next time on Curious City, pop quiz. Forests, prairies, or wetlands, which are most deserving of preservation in Cook County? The answer? All of them. But it took early 20th century officials a while to come around. They did think the prairie and the marshlands were beautiful. That's part of what they were doing, was kind of selling that idea to people that were in positions of power. The long fight for Cook County's forest preserves. That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.